welcome to episode 19 of Rubbish Talk with myself, Alistair Meldrum. And myself, Jane Bond. And today we have Bruce McLean from CCL North Limited and Restructor, so two separate companies. Uh, so uh, the CCL North recycles waste electrical and electronic equipment, so we, and Restructor focuses on recycling of televisions, initially the, the old type TVs and then the flat screen TVs. So if you want a bit of a nostalgia trip through electronics, Bruce is, Bruce is your man, but more of him later on. Usual roundup from ourselves in terms of news that's happening. A couple of things, but we're back in the old vape subject. So Jane, I think you've got an update on that. Yeah, I have. We've heard something about Scottish Government are looking at a consultation on banning single-use vapes. So they've finally seen that there is a, well, not finally seen, but identified that there is an issue with the amount of um, research and and um, everything that's been happening and with our information from Laura the other week about the sing about the vapes. Um, so hopefully looks like there's a consultation on the proposed ban to be to be held in the next year. So, you know, uh, watch out for that and let's make sure we all respond. Yeah, I, I was in a I was in a Scottish government call last week on behalf of, of Switch about vapes and it was it was quite interesting because it was it was being hosted both by uh, the, the environment and the health side. So they're looking at it both from the environmental side and, and, and the health side. And I think some of the health statistics that are coming through in terms of effects on people's health and, and their, their teeth and their gums and all this that stuff sounds pretty horrific. So uh, I think the general view of the mean was there's not much good that can be said about vapes, but there's big pressure from the people that produce them and sell them uh, to, to, to keep them there. So it'll be interesting when the, consult the consultation comes out. Uh, the other thing that was interesting, the material focus. Uh, so Scott Butler, who we had on episode 15, uh, his organisation has, has re-estimated the number of vapes that think are being discarded every week. And they reckon it's now 5 million disposable vapes across the UK every week which sounds, you know, horrific sort of figures for, you know, when we're trying to reduce consumption, uh, look after the resource and so on. So hopefully the, the consultation will move forward and hopefully other parts of the UK will also look at uh, bans. I, I think France, for example, is is looking at a ban or going to ban. Uh, so I think it's, it's watch the space and the, the, the old disposable vapes. Yeah, it's just shocking, isn't it? The amount that's getting used and thrown away and you know the more I've got into little shops and corner shops and everything the more I'm seeing all these brightly coloured packages I'm thinking oh, wow there's so many different types and so many different colours and flavours it's just and the fact that there's like shops just purely selling I mean you know the tobacco industry or whatever they must make a fortune on it but anyway I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of um, what you say opposition to the ban um kind of sort of moving on but more about fires i suppose because we were um we've been talking about fires in um we've been talking about fires from batteries at waste recycling centers there's been fires in the back of um bin lorries and now uh, just recently the 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 landfill site at um, dunbar that's been on fire as well so it's that's been quite a 
quite a challenge for everybody, I think, because it's really difficult once the um, once it goes on fire, it's really difficult to put it out because um, it's under the ground as well. And if you're using lots of water or whatever, to try and put these out, all the contamination and, you know, everything else like that, it's trying to contain everything as well and making sure that nothing goes out into the atmosphere or the environment. So, yeah, um, I mean, I know a long time ago that used to be part of the waste management um, process, didn't it? You take your you take your rubbish to the to the tip and then put it on fire and and then cover some more. But I think that's kind of like gone by the wayside since. So, um, yeah, not a, not a good um, not a good thing for the fire to be at the landfill site at Dunbar. Uh I, I I remember vividly going out to Tyree, the island of Tyree, when I was in my 20s. And every day around two o'clock, there was a, a plume of smoke came up from the centre of the site. And that was the, the waste had all been brought to the middle of the, 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 the island to where the landfill site is. And a match was put to it and, uh, and it was burnt and it, it happened every day. And that, that was, you know, fairly recently. So it was it was if you like tried and tested practice but I suppose in these days the, the amount of plastic in the waste stream is much less than you know it is now. Interesting the fires in landfill I've, I've experienced quite a few quite often the fire actually comes into the site so it's actually in the waste that's been delivered so it's, it's smouldering things it's barbecues that are smouldering away uh, but as you say once once they get started they're really difficult to put out and quite often it's not it's not water that puts them out, it's, it's digging them out and, and sort of removing the waste and then damping it down and, and, and effectively smothering them and stopping the oxygen getting into the into the fire. But uh, challenging times when they do go on fire uh, to get them out. So sticking with sticking with landfill, I suppose, uh, the other big news, which has been, we've been mentioning it over the last few podcasts or, or over various podcasts that's been sitting bubbling away is the issue of persistent organic pollutants, POPs, in what they're now calling WUDs, which was a new acronym to me. I had to, I had to Google it. So this WUDs are Waste Upholstered Domestic Seating. So what they did was they put persistent organic pollutants in these as a fire retardant. But the problem is you're not allowed to landfill these persistent organic pollutants. So we're at a situation where any sofas, any chairs, anything like that are discarded that have got this upholstered material in them and need to go for this incineration. So and that's that ban is is meant to have been in place, you know, for a while. So it's causing absolute mayhem across Scotland with local authorities. So if they're if they're taking their household waste, recycling waste, to an straight to an incinerator, that's fine because it's going to be incinerated. If they were taking that to be sorted and then landfilled or whatever, then they've got to change that immediately. So there's big big issues in terms of uh, how this ban, if you like, it's almost been banned before we've got the infrastructure in place to actually deal with it. So. I think there'll be a lot of chat in the sector over the next next few weeks and months in terms of how they actually cope with it. So watch watch this space, but 
There is, that is another acronym for us, WUDS. And what was what was also interesting about the POPs is when we talked to Bruce McLean later, he's got quite an interesting take in the work they've done with POPs, particularly in uh, television sets and the plastic and into television sets. Uh, so, so listen out for that later on in the, in, in the podcast. Just seems a bit bonkers, doesn't it? That you kind of sit on these sofas for years and years and years and suddenly when you want to get rid of them all of a sudden they're hazardous waste and it's like oh my goodness and you're kind of thinking well I've been sat on that sofa for years and it's been fine so yeah but anyway you know (laughs) yeah I think I think the difficulty is it's down to the it's down to the Stockholm convention and that's what's that's what's defined them as being hazardous in terms of disposal so the 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 regulators in the UK have got little choice but to enforce the ban. Mm. But it's, it's it's going to be interesting because the, the incineration plants aren't particularly set up to take you know a huge number of old sofas and cushions and all that sort of stuff. So there is going to have to be a bit of infrastructure put in place, and that's not going to happen quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how 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 it works. Although there's a ban in place, it's just you know if there's no if there's no place to take the stuff what's going to happen you know and and you do hear some local authorities are talking about refusing to accept that stuff so what do you do if you've got a sofa you need to chuck down the council won't take it you know it's more than likely yeah it's more than likely going to turn up at a back lane someplace and the council's going to end up with anyway so uh, there's there's a lot of work needing done anyway but that way but we myself and Jane were talking earlier on if anybody is an expert on 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 pops and and how to manage them how to, how to do it we'd we'd love to hear from you because we're we're I think we're both sitting thinking we don't actually know enough about this subject to 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 talk about it so uh, anybody out there quite happy to have a chat be interesting to see how you would measure it in these sofas you know, do it? Can you actually do some testing? You know, like we we do with the plastics, and you can zap it, and it'll tell you whether it what type of plastics. Can you zap the textiles, and it'll tell you yes, it's pops, or yes, it isn't, or is that just some sort of yeah. pie in the sky idea? Well, I think that's the that's the approach Bruce, Bruce took with the television sets, isn't it? So he he, yeah. he did he did measure the pops, and but I think I think the difficulty, you know, although he I can't remember the numbers he rhymed off, but it was a lot of different models of televisions, but if you think about furniture, it's even, you know, it'll be running into the tens of thousands of different types of furniture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at least nine times out of ten, he's got a barcode that he can scan to, so you can work out a product name and so on, whereas a, a sofa might not have that. So interesting times, interesting times. And then I've not had a rant for a wee while. Uh, so I need a, a bit of a, a, a rubbish rant. I was down in, in Cardiff at the weekend because I was doing a I was doing a wee race on Saturday, and because I was a wee bit sore, I woke up quite early, so I went for a wander around Cardiff city centre on Sunday morning. And what a mess the place was in! The amount of litter and garbage just strewn every place was just shocking. And when you look at the size of the team of you know, between letter collectors, road sweepers and so on, and cleaning up, you just think, you know, surely we've got a better use for all that resource and all that manpower than picking up litter because people can't be bothered using a bin. Yeah, I know, Anna, my my daughter's saying, 
um, she lives over in Edinburgh and during the festival period and, and all that sort of stuff again. And the fringe, Edinburgh is uh, very similar to that, just rubbish and waste everywhere because there's so many people. I mean, you know, it's just difficult to keep up with it. And, um, you know, where there's not enough bins and, you know, instead of like to putting it somewhere else, people put it next to her next to a full bin so you just end up with piles of rubbish so yeah it's just hard work isn't it you do wonder you do wonder yeah. but we've got some good news we've had our we, we started our tiktok yes i'll be in our own tiktok so you almost you sound could... as if you know who you're talking about here Jim. i know well do you know i've not i've not done tiktok before because alicia's our our young person who knows all about these things so i actually logged on to it and you know put all my stuff in and, and i watched this tiktok video oh my god it's so good we've had 700 views so far and it's about like the, the guys going out and do the mon doing up doing the monitoring i'm always kind of thinking that you know the Callum the youngest one was going to do a little dance or something like that we can get a TikTok Albion dance but I don't think he was really up for it but it looked it looked good and good music to go with it so we'll yeah. definitely put the link for everybody to go and have a look well done Alicia that's all I say and the boys no it looked good it looked good and it, it highlighted the, the type of work we're doing so, so hopefully Hopefully we're going to do a few more of these. We're going to pick up some other subjects we do. Next one we've got is, uh, and, and I, I think I mentioned this last time in the last podcast, but I was I was actually scared to mention because I, I didn't know if it was for public release or not. So Albion has been nominated uh, for the Best Management KTP, that's Knowledge Transfer Partnership, uh, at the 2023 annual KTP awards in Cardiff. So that was down to the KTP we did with Heather Beatty, uh, previous co-host and University of West of Scotland. So quite delighted to be nominated for that. It was a little bit stressful last week when I had to go and get filmed for the, the, wee, the wee film they're going to put together. So I'm hoping the man is very good at cutting and editing. Uh, my my poor attempt of being, I'm, I don't think I'm made for, for 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 TV appearances. So hopefully his editing skills are, are are up to the mark. But looking forward to that. And I think it's October. I'll need to. I do need to get organised and uh, get back to down to Cardiff. I suppose the last thing we've got a couple of things. We've been having our polls at the end of our um, podcasts, and I think the last poll was um do you think vape should be banned and we've have a 90 percent yes to a ban so you know scottish government there you go that's a, a good um a good call there um and then we also had another another poll which was would you consider a career in the waste industry and surprisingly 100 percent said yes so i'm not quite sure who's responding to all of these um polls presumably 100% of the people, people in the, the waste, waste industry. industry. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there who's not in the waste industry, would you consider a career in the waste industry? Of course you would. Anyway, I think that's all from us for this week. It's just over to Bruce McLean. He's been in the industry as, as long as I can remember. Very practical, very pragmatic about the sector. Uh, does some pretty good and impressive work in the sector. So, uh, And as I said, a bit of a nostalgia trip down the, the, the technology roots if you're a technology geek this is this is the one for you so over to bruce hi bruce um it's nice to meet you um how are you how are you doing welcome to rubbish talk thanks jane yeah i'm all good here how's things with you okay no not too bad at all the sun's shining today so we're all happy 
Glorious, um, isn't it? I know that's great. So um, we're going to start by if you can just tell me a bit about who you work for and a background about the organisation, um, and a bit about your role in the um, in the organisation or organisations. Yeah, sure. Well, nowadays I'm uh, managing director of Optimum Eco Group. We're now a, a group of companies, but it's really at the moment it's an amalgamation of the the two companies that I've been managing director of for forever, I think, the last 23 years with um, CCL North and 18 years since 2005 with um, Restructor Limited. So, you know, we, we've had an excellent time with, with both the companies. Up until now, they've been in separate ownership. And uh, what we've done is, is try and bring them both together uh, to work under a, a group heading uh, with the intention of... Um, possibly adding more companies into the group, either by expansion or through um, diversification. For people that have never heard of either Restructor or CCL North before, CCL North recycle electronic equipment. They actually specialise in secure uh, recycling of IT equipment in particular. Um, but alongside that, we we also collect in small mixed wee it's uh, known as from the civic community sites in Scotland. So we have a, a processing facility for that, uh, also for uh, secure processing of, of IT equipment. Restructor, we formed it in 2005 um, specifically to recycle televisions and only televisions. At that time, it was CRT type tellies. And they were. You need to explain what CRT TVs are to younger mm-hmm. generation, Bruce. Some of the some of the younger generation don't know where they are. <laughs> Aye, right. Well, they, they were great big muckle heavy things. Um, a cathode ray tube um, was was what CRT stands stands for, and they they, they were huge uh, way way before flat screens became uh, popular. So we set the business up just to do CRTs and. The, the business plan actually says this business got a lifespan of between five and seven years. And uh, here we are now, 18 years uh, later on, we're absolutely busier than, than ever. Processing predominantly flat screens now, but we still get considerable volumes of um, cathode ray tubes in as well. Probably maybe about 10% of what comes in every day is still CRTs. So we bring in about 2,000 TVs every single day. Wow. So that's, that's two, 200 CRTs every day that need to all get treated and treated well. Sorry, I'm going to jump in here again, Bruce. The, the CRT process is quite interesting for how you actually do that. It's quite a technical sort of thing, or was at the time when you first set it up, is that right? Yeah, I think I think all of it is 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 fairly technical. The the, the tube itself is um, fairly dangerous, I suppose, if you don't know uh, what you're doing with them. Um, they, they have a habit of imploding. There's a, a huge vacuum inside them, and uh, they're extremely violent. If if one implodes, you wouldn't want to be standing within twenty feet of it. So you know, I think you only do that once. You you, you learn your lesson. Really quickly, if uh, if you do have an accident, but they're made up of um, predominantly two different types of glass. Um, the the front screen, the, the the bit that you look through, is quite a thick, chunky glass, and that's the heaviest part of the, the the tube. And it it tends not to have anything 
harmful in it at all. Complicated part uh, for some people is is the the funnel tube that's on the back of uh, the the CRT because it contains um, and uh, is deemed to be hazardous. Never quite understood that. That's that's the rules and that's what we have to live by. It has about fifteen percent lead oxide in it, whereas a crystal tumbler that you might want to enjoy your whiskey of to qualify as being lead crystal, it must have a minimum of twenty five percent lead oxide in it. I don't know who makes the rules. So um yeah we've we've the technique is to, to split the, the T V tube around its join. So where the screen attaches to the funnel, there's a, a lead frit which they use to, to, to join the two pieces of glass there. So we need to, to split it just on the, the screen side of that lead frit so we don't get any lead attaching to the screen. We use it with we use a, a, a special machine with hot wires in it. We actually have wrapped the wire around where we want the, the screen to, to split and we heat it up for about a minute and then we switch current off and blast it with cold air and that causes a, a thermal shock because it's two different types of glass that shrink at different rates and it should split very nice and cleanly uh, around where, where, where the wire is. And it's quite an effective um, technique. We've used it really since the very start. In actual fact, the machines that we bought in 2005 by last year were worn out, surprisingly. <laughs> and we had to search the world to, to find somebody that could build us a new machine. So, And I'm sure there's not much of a market these days for somebody selling uh, hot wire CRT splitters. But uh, it's, that's that's what we did. So we managed to find a German company to manufacture two new machines for us, and uh, it's, it's it's running extremely well. And we still use that same technique. It's important for us to to keep the glass separate because we're now manufacturing a product from the the panel glass, the, the screen glass on the on the front of the display. The product is a, a decorative aggregate. Uh, we manufacture it in three different sizes. And we use a company in England now to to market it for us on our behalf, and it goes into you know it can go into gardening applications, but other people have used it for for unique uh, projects. There there is actually a house that's been built uh, on the side of Loch Awe in Scotland. The whole of the outside of the house uh, is coated with tiles, which has our glass impregnated into those tiles, and. Last I heard, it was up for some international award. It was in the last four finalists for for this uh, international award, and you never know; it it, it might win. You know, it's wow. uh, it's clever that's, stuff. That's quite impressive. It's like a TV house. Aye, TV <laughs> like house. TVs. Um, how to recycle your TV into a house? <laughs> I I mean, I think we calculated how many TVs it took to actually cover this whole house in in. This uh, glass aggregate, uh, and I think it came out about nine thousand TVs are uh, used because we can only use that part of the, the of the display. It's not the whole TV, and also we grade it so we we get three different sizes. So I think the the nine thousand figure came based on the fact that you know it's only a third of of what we what we produce, but it's um it's quite unique. That's quite impressive. Uh, 
And what about mm -hmm. the what about all the new flat screens? Are they are they pro proving difficult challenges for you in terms of recycling? Because there's, there's quite a variety of types now, isn't there? There's a there's a great variety of um, types. Mostly, you know, okay, there was some plasma ones uh, early on, which are kind of more similar to, to CRTs as they have um, fluorescent coatings in them. But since then, it's been mostly uh, some form of, of liquid crystal uh, technology that's in them. So the, the early ones were simply called um, LCD. The newer ones were called LED. Um, but the LED actually just referred to the backlight that is built into to the display. It still have a still has an LCD in front of it actually generating all the colours and your your pictures. The the backlight's just there to, to make it brighter. And the early LCD ones had basically mini strip lights in it, fluorescent tubes, which contain mercury. Quite a range of hazardous materials in there. But we we know what those materials are. We, we know them quite well. Do they still have mercury in them? You said the early ones, LCD ones are mercury. Do the newer ones have they, mercury in them as well? The, the, the LED ones have LED lights behind them. The older LCD um, TVs and, and computer monitors and the, and the like, they have um, these fluorescent tubes in them with uh, with mercury, mm -hmm. so they need to be removed. They, they need to be removed whole, preferably to prevent any mercury leaking out, and they need to be removed under controlled conditions. Um, it's not something really that you'd want to put through a shredder, for example. And the 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 new ones are organic LED, which is a brilliant technology. The the colours on the TVs are, are vast. The the thinness of the, the display is huge. It doesn't need backlights in it. It generates its own lights and uh, and colours. And uh, the, the really nice thing about all of these LCDs is that they were invented here in the UK. Liquid crystal was invented around about 1974 at um, Hull University. They they still are probably the, the, the leaders in uh, liquid crystal technology. And to this very day, the, the Liquid Crystal Institute is based there. And they're, they're doing additional work now on advanced uh, technologies using organic uh, LED. But the organic LEDs, so you'll see them, obviously, big screen TVs. Right down to these small Samsung phones now that you can fold up. They've got flexible displays in them. That's organic LED. And I'm pleased to say that organic LED was invented in Edinburgh by a joint venture between Napier University and the University of Edinburgh. That was in the, 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 the late 90s. Unfortunately, they, they did spin off a couple of companies to try and manufacture the the organic LED in sort of volume production. They weren't quite so good at that. The whole thing ended up going bust. And um, LG, who are the TV manufacturers from South Korea, came along and bought all the technology mm, and, uh, and, and rights to it mm. and uh, mastered the, the um, manufacturing process. And, uh, you know, they, they, the Sony and the Samsung uh, 
QLEDs or OLEDs and stuff, you know, find most of them are actually manufactured by LG, the actual display panel. And it's really interesting. So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm getting a history lesson here as well. I like this. So, but that question, but organic LED, what makes it organic? Good question. I was sort of... <laughs> carrots or something like that yeah that's <laughs> what i was thinking does it you know do they give it nice fertilizers or something i have no idea yeah, they've, they've got some organic chemistry in there that um when they, they excite this uh, chemical it, it, it glows uh, different colors which is how you get your, your rgb colors because um every tv including crt's uh, really, it's made up of just three three colours: uh, red, green, and blue. Everything else is, is is a combination of those things. So I I don't know exactly. I could give you the name of a guy in Edinburgh to phone if you want to find out. But, um, <laughs> we'll get him on. I was going to say Bruce, but it would almost stop people from using acronyms. But you've rattled off a huge number of acronyms. But I'm hoping people know what uh, CRTs and all these different things are. But if we don't, we can put together a wee list at the end. <laughs> I, we, can, we can do that, certainly. Well, I, well, I was thinking RGB, RGB, yeah. and then I thought, no, red, green, blue. <laughs> so, red, red, and you said, that he said that so that's i can take that off my list so in terms of in terms of uh, that that's obviously what you're do, doing at the moment in terms of how you got into the industry did you was it planned or was it what's your background no no it definitely wasn't wasn't planned <laughs> it's it's good fun you know, I'm quite enjoying this this industry. Um, it's maybe not quite the same amount of pressure as I, as I had previously. Um, I originally, I left school at 16, and uh, I was very fortunate to to land an apprenticeship in Dundee with uh, Timex, who back in the 70s that was, and, and they were still making wind-up watches. It's a four-year apprenticeship. And just around about the time that I was finished my apprenticeship, somebody invented a, a digital watch. Nobody wanted wind-up watches anymore. So Dundee was in panic mode. So we started diversifying into electronic products. Uh, I got sent away for six months to the Microelectronics Education Development Centre, which is still there. It's still located in in Paisley. It was Paisley Tech at the time, but it's now University of West of Scotland. But I was hurriedly re-educated into microelectronics. I'd, I'd had a bit of a start because I was, I'd spent quite a lot of time in automation uh, within Timex, um, working on robots and machines to, to, to assemble mechanical wind-up watches, believe it or not. So I understood a bit and I'd done some courses on robotics, so I kind of understood some of the logic part of it. And um, by the time I returned to, to Timex after that training, we'd started making products for Sinclair Research. So the, the ZX81 computer, they were all manufactured by Timex and Dundee. Wow. Oh, my be... God, that takes me back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My there brother had a ZX81. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say there there are going to be some computer geeks listening to this and thinking this is a bit of a nostalgia trip here, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, in 1982 then, um, the Sinclair Spectrum came along, the ZX Spectrum. Mm. Um, and for the, you know, we, we carried on producing it for 
about 18 months, uh, but we, we realised fairly quickly that um, it wasn't performing too well on the carpet in front of a TV when the kids are kind of lying on the floor and the ventilation in the bottom of the, the, the casing of the computer is kind of blocked. It, it would overheat. And, and the other problem we had was some of the chips inside it. We were creating our own worldwide shortage of these chips. Um, through my wonderful education that I'd received at Paisley, um, I came up with an idea. Redesign the Spectrum computer using uh, a single chip to replace six other chips that were actually they used quite a lot of quite a lot of power themselves. But there's a new technology which is a high speed CMOS version. The other one was TTL. There's more acronyms. We can talk about them <laughs> later. Um, but it's, I made the suggestion that you know we could design a a single chip that would uh, take take the place of these other six chips. And uh, we could use this high-speed CMOS and it would be a lot cheaper and a lot more efficient. Nobody really believed me, so they sent me away down to, to Sinclair Research in Cambridge to, to meet with the, the boffins down there. Allowed me to explain it to them and they said, great, go and do it. So I set about actually designing a chip that is in all the latest versions of, uh, of the Sinclair ZX Spectrum and all its variants. Shortly after that, I left DMX. <laughs> I moved to a company that manufactured uh, microchips, but also manufactured um, liquid crystal displays for the next, oh, how many years? 12 or 15 years. I spent quite a lot of time uh, with various companies around the world designing liquid crystal displays into Lots of different types of products. I worked in Italy designing car phone handsets and designing displays into those. Designed a, a display that is in every seat armrest in the Boeing 777 aircraft. Finished up in Finland designing displays for military aircraft. And then eventually came back to Scotland and worked for a company for a short time. We were actually developing a flexible plastic LCD allocation just along the, the M8 corridor. And that, that was my job when I, I fell into recycling. We were asked to do a job for Motorola along the road. They'd made, I don't know, about a million phones and they'd put the wrong chip in it. And they needed a special machine to be able to remove this chip and replace it with with the chip that should have been there in the first place. And because of the technology that we'd bought in from Japan to do these special displays, that was able to do the job for them. So we we removed hundreds of thousands of um, chips and replaced them with the right ones, sent them all back to Motorola, and then we said, do you want these chips back? And they says, oh, no, 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 it's against corporate policy. I'm saying, but there's nothing wrong with the chips. It's actually a reprogrammable part. So I don't know why you didn't just reprogram it where it was, but, you know, you can dump another program into it and reuse it. But they said no. So I said, well, can we have them then? So they said, yeah. So we um, we tidied them all up and repackaged them into tubes. And then we started selling them around the world. You know, there was, at that particular time, huge markets for, for uh, refurbished components. And so we approached a number of other manufacturers in Scotland. 
and you know said can we take your scrap away and we'll you know we'll split the the, the value that we get uh, for your stuff and some people were very anxious about letting us have their scrap but you know when they got like sixty thousand dollars back for it they were super delighted and just gave us more scrap and at that time there's a lot of companies in scotland producing a lot of scrap mm-hmm. so you know it was it was quite busy and that's really how i fell into to the waste management i didn't realize it was waste management until sipa knocked on my door and said <laughs> Can you do that? You think you have a waste manager license? Mm. And we have So, uh, you know, we had to go through the, the process that I've, I've been through since then twice as well with the SEPA of uh, writing a waste management application and putting as much technical detail in it as possible. And then SEPA have to compare that against their guidelines that are aimed at landfill sites and see how does it split with, you know, what they're doing at landfill site. So, yeah, a few interesting discussions with uh, SIPA along the way, but nah, it's it's all been really good fun. Yeah. And and that, I, I would certainly agree that the waste management license and regs don't quite fit your type of operation, but they're, they're made to fit, aren't they, to a certain extent? But in, interesting, from what I know about CCL, you're you're still doing very similar, aren't you? You're still if you like finding the high value bit, selling them as as you know working components, if you like, and then you're finding value elsewhere. That's the sort of business model, if you like, you're still using. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, when when CCL was started, that was specifically what it was there to do was you know taking scrap assemblies from the manufacturers that were in Scotland and and achieve value from it, but. Unfortunately, you know, those manufacturers are, are all gone now. So we we were forced really to, to have to diversify, uh, which took us along the, the, the paths of um, IT recycling. But yeah, we're still very keen to, we, we don't really, we try our hardest not to treat anything as waste as it comes in. It's an unfortunate set of regulations in Scotland that means it has to be waste when it comes in, but you know, we were able to, to recover lots and lots of different things from it and achieve value wherever we possibly can. It it tends to be quite a manual process. You know, it's not something that you can shred it and, and pick the bits out of it. You know, you've you've really got to dismantle everything by hand. But along the way, that, that has absolutely worked in our favour. Um, uh, more recently, especially, the, the way we deal with small mixed wee when it comes in every single item gets handled by somebody immediately it arrives before it goes into any wee pile and the purpose of that is to remove any hazardous material from it so batteries has been a big thing more recently vapes we see quite a lot of and we're quite used to to, to dealing with them uh, although we're fair enough we haven't been making a song and dance about it but you know other, other things come along that somebody invented I don't know if they're curling tongs or hair straighteners or what they are, but they've got tiny wee gas bottles in them. They're, not, ele- they're not electric at all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but if you know if, if you burst one, you, you could be in serious trouble. We, we get in the obvious stuff like petrol lawnmowers, which again are not electrical, and generally are full of petrol as well. So we need to we need to sort that out and, and deal with that before it goes into any 
any um, wee pile. We get bullets, shotgun cartridges, emergency flares. Really? Wow. A whole lot. There's a lot of labour involved in it. It's quite time-consuming and it tends to be a bit more expensive than, than our competitors are at it. But we we do it safely and we, we do it well and we're quite happy to, to continue uh, doing it that way. It's quite good. You can see that's the whole kind of um, basis of circular economy, isn't it, really? Because what you're taking in and actually recovering the metals and recovering all that sort of materials is where is what we're losing. And if we're not careful, there's not going to be enough raw materials to, you know, to replace what we're what we're using all the time. So actually to be able to recover all the critical metals and everything like that from these uh, materials is really important. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, from the IT side as well, you know, we recover huge volumes of print circuit board assemblies. Um, we do recover chip components from those assemblies still. We still market these chips. We can recover memory modules from it. Um, once we've taken what we can use off the boards, the boards go down to a, a, a smelter down in England where they, they recover gold and silver, copper and palladium from it. So. We are very, very much focused on, on recovering as much as we can, you know, scrap metal, copper, absolutely as much as we, we possibly can uh, recover from, from any item and achieve as much value as, as, as we possibly can as well. You know, there, there is an element of, of reuse as well in what we do. Majority of the IT stuff, we, we, we don't have permission to reuse because it, it's there for secure destruction. Um, but there is a small per- percentage that, that we're allowed to refurbish and, and we do resell some some equipment. Prior to COVID, we, we did have a team refurbishing um, small mix. We, there's some quite interesting uh, materials come in there. Marshall amplifiers, singer sewing machines, just all sorts of unusual stuff that, that's still working, um, can be fully tested, uh, made sure it's safe and, and, and remarket it. But just before COVID, um, SIPA sent us a notice about POPs and things. And I knew you were going to get onto that subject at some point, Bruce. <laughs> Explain what a POP is before you go further. Oh, <laughs> persistent organic pollutants, um, which are they're basically the, the flame retardants that manufacturers have put into electrical products and, and, and other products as well, furnitures, and it's going to hit the demolition uh, industry as well shortly, I think. Yeah, the, the manufacturers, by, by regulation, they were told to put this stuff in um, so that, you know, if, if you dropped a cigarette on a piece of furniture and stuff, it just didn't immediately burst into flames. It got a chance to, to smoulder for a wee while be, before it actually caught fire to, to, to give you a chance to realise what was happening. And, and you know, you, you couldn't buy a piece of furniture unless it had a, a triangle on it. And now it looks like we may not be allowed to, to resell any equipment or furniture if it has flame retardants in it over a, over a particular level. Um, so that kind of curtailed us a wee bit. We were waiting on SEPA deciding what they were going to do as far as um, reuse. Uh, so that was the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. 
and um, we're still waiting. Uh, having said that, SEPA have got a very difficult job. You know, they've they've been tasked with this and, and said, you need to tell everybody, you know, you can no longer recycle plastics, for example, from the back of TVs. Um, they've all got to be incinerated. I don't know what nonsense uh, that's all about. It's, it's no other way to go, I don't think, at all. It's absolutely awful. But, you know, we're, we're continuing to have these uh, discussions, but it's entirely no SEPA's fault. You know, they, they've been told to do this by DEFRA, and in fairness, you know, they've had a team of people in SEPA trying to convince DEFRA to, that Scotland should do things differently. Um, but the, I think DEFRA are saying no. The regulations are there in England, so you have to do exactly the same up in Scotland. So that's not what I'm doing, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you've got an you've got an interesting approach how you're dealing with that the plastics from the TV, haven't you? Because you've you've managed to identify the products with the pops and the products without the pops, and then so you've sort of split your plastic stream, haven't you? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, you know, we. Again, how we dismantle the TVs uh, has worked in our favour. We we dismantle them by hand. We we don't put anything through a shredder. So the the plastic back of a of a TV, which is where the where the pops is, um, we're able to to remove those in one piece, and um, we're able to to test them. It, it did take us a while to to sort out the testing, and we. Took us over a year, in actual fact, before we realised we we're doing it completely wrong. So we had to chuck all our all our data away, start it's, again. It's pretty hard to test for pops as well, because it's a whole it's a whole group of chemicals. So there's not there's as I understand, there's not a single sort of test you can do. It's it's more complicated than that. Um, I, I think if you can get your testing process um sorted out and it's repeatable and consistent it, it's very very accurate what you need to do after that then is to to verify the the results that you're getting and the verification part of it is is difficult we we tried umpteen universities and places in the uk um to be able to to verify our test results and the long and the short of it we 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 didn't find uh, anybody in the UK that could successfully do that. So we had to go to a specialist lab in Austria, in Vienna, to um, to get this uh, testing done. So that has worked extremely well and matched exactly what the results that we've been getting. Um, so, you know, during the, the process, we've been testing a lot of TVs and we we were gradually building up a, a database um, of TVs and recording information longhand um, about manufacturers, model numbers, country of origins, year of manufacture, etc., etc. And um, then adding all the test results that we get uh, alongside that. And uh, we've got probably in the region of 40 or 50,000 individual tests. Uh, we've got 8,000 uh, unique uh, TV part numbers within that. So a lot of 
TVs have tested uh, more than one of the same same model number. And then it was a question of, of right, okay, we've got this database. What, what do we do with it? You know, we can't have somebody standing there reading the manufacturer and looking up a table and, and a model number. But um, we initially tried to use some sort of camera recognition thing. Um, but it was expensive and we couldn't get that to work either. So it was a wee trip back to Dundee, in actual fact. Dundee's a very popular place. Um, and we, we found a company called Zudu, who uh, design uh, apps for mobile phones. So we've been working with them for the last year and a half. And we now have uh, an app that's, uh, that operates on any uh, Android device, uh, a tablet or mobile phone. Uh, that we it will we can scan the manufacturer's label on the back of the TV, and the app will read the information that's on their manufacturer and model number, etc. It will compare it with the database, and it will come up with uh, one of three results: either it's got pops in it, or no, it doesn't have any pops in it. It's safe to to recycle, or Hang on a minute, we haven't seen that TV before. That needs to go for, for testing. Uh, so we keep adding, we're still adding to our, our database uh, every day. But it's a very rapid process. It's just a question of scanning the thing, getting the label and the picture, pressing the button, and it tells you immediately. It just looks up our database for us and, and uh, tells it that it works. So at that point, the TVs are simply routed, like pops and non-pops. And uh, we can dismantle them and make sure that we keep all the pops plastic separate from the non-pops plastic. In spite of the fact that televisions was one of the key areas, that was one of the worst type of products for having pops in it. Um, we're actually only finding that 27% of televisions have um, pops in them at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're able to go back to trading um the the remainder the seventy two percent seventy three percent thereabouts of um plastic that comes in we can trade that back into plastic recyclers so that that plastic is safe to to reuse and uh, and be recycled into something else so if the pops aren't <coughs> aren't being used in seventy percent of the TVs, does that mean that they found something else as a flame retarder or are they just not adding them in? I, I, I mean, I'm not quite yeah. sure what, what the benefits are. And is there, is it in more recent TVs that you're finding the pops aren't in or is it not consistent with anything, just specific the, manufacturers? or the, the, There's a date that's been bandied around by the environment agencies which is 2007-2008, and they are claiming that after 2008 there shouldn't be any uh, electrical products with pops in. Oh, right. That's quite so a long time ago then. It's a long time ago, but what we're finding is that is completely incorrect. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Bruce, you're not meant to say that. <laughs> That's the date that everybody's been given. <laughs> there's exactly the same percentage of TVs with pops in after, you know, the, the 2000, whatever date it was, uh, right up until now, there's still brand new TVs um, 
have persistent organic pollutants in them. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll let them figure it out. They, they can argue amongst themselves for a while. We're, we're going to continue what, what just, we're doing. You just keep doing what you're doing. Eh? And, uh, I'll, I'll keep my head down for, for a just, while yet. I'm just a bit concerned that what does, I've got so much, I'm a holder. There's so much in my attic that I'm going to find one of these CRT telly somewhere and I'm going to be panicking now that it hasn't imploded or whatever. So I might have to go and find the, it. It's, it's like everything else, you know. They, they don't implode on, on their own. It's <laughs> right, designed. Okay. It actually has a steel implosion band around the edge of the screen. And what you need to do is to, to make sure that you release the vacuum inside the tube before you take that steel band off. Right, I, w- I won't do uh, that don't, then. Don't, don't, um, don't, do that. No, don't touch no, it, Jane. I think take no, it to your no, household you waste know. recycling centre site is the, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's probably yeah. the official message. Yeah, and it's just, you know, like batteries, my, my view on batteries is that it's not the batteries that are causing the fires, you know. It's, um, it's, it's the shredding up of the batteries. Well, you, you shred them, you can run over them with telehandlers, you know, you get tablets and mobile phones, um, electric shavers, all sorts of stuff in with a wee. And if you just fling it in a big pile and then hit it with a bucket or a telehandler or something, um, why would you be surprised that you've caused a fire, you know? It's just, um, uh, it's it's how we deal with things. So, um, that's my opinion. I'm sure loads of people will completely disagree. But. <laughs> so, so skipping back a bit, Bruce, or maybe skipping to now, it might might be favourite role or favourite project you've had in your career. Gee whiz. Or uh, or the or the worst one it could be. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest disaster you had. <laughs> well, I, I there's been disasters, but no, I think I think in general, um, it, it's been good. Obviously, being involved with. Um, the Sinclair Spectrum uh, computers and stuff was brilliant. Um, designing displays and seeing um, your design and, and manufacture, you know, actually going into an aeroplane or a fighter aircraft or, or even, you know, um, the sexiest car phone in the world in Italy. You know, it was just, uh, it was fabulous. Um, but I think, also, with the restructuring CCL, you know, the, the things that we have done with um, uh, glass glow, it's called, which is the, the glass aggregate uh, product, we're, we're over the moon that um, we were able to to designate that as a product and, and be allowed to sell it. It did take SIPA about five years to to even talk to us about it, they they just immediately said no, it's not, it's it's CRT glass. You can't do that. End of. You know, so um, we, it was really a change of uh, personnel. I think in Super, Gary Walker came along and we we spoke to him and he says oh, that sounds interesting. We'll have a look at that. And hey presto, uh, we got end of waste status on it, which is uh, brilliant. Um, but yeah, it was um, it, it, that was a bit of a struggle, and I suppose the pops thing as well is is um, it's been quite novel. We 
we didn't really expect it. We didn't know which direction it was going to go in, really. But what had been a, a commodity for us, the, the plastics that we were reselling, um, you know, it was generating considerable income from for for the business um, up until that point. And now we're turning that income into a cost. So there was a massive swing in, the, in revenue on it. So we felt we had to investigate it further and, and have a look, see if there's something that we could do. So, yeah, that's been very successful too. So, aye. And I think the next successful thing will be maybe if I could get retired. I think so, that leads on to Jane's next question, actually. <laughs> Which one? Tell us about your... Cut the role on what you're trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Yeah, well, the, my current role really is, is bringing you know, the, the two companies together and getting them all working together as a team so that, um, uh, you know, they can continue to have a successful uh, future. I'd need to say, you know, we've been extremely fortunate with um, the, the teams that we have all the way through the business, you know, from people on the shop floor to drivers to the managers to and now to the, the directors that are there. Um, We've got a total workforce now of around about 100 in Irvine, uh, split kind of 50-50 between Restruct and CCL. And some of them have been there, you know, pretty much since we opened. Um, so that's a vast experience that these people have um, and are, are able to, to provide in the business. Um, we've more recently, it has been difficult getting people into what we do but about four or five years ago we we started our own apprentice training scheme so we we bring in five or six apprentices uh, at least once a year uh, to, to join the company it's it's not a four-year apprentice like apprenticeship like mine was it's it's only a one year uh, but they do get a qualification at the end of it and they also get a guaranteed role within the business um, at, at the end of it as well as a, as a permanent uh, full-time employee. So that's uh, been really successful for us. Um, you know, we've had some drop out and some didn't make it, but on, on the whole, I think the success rate has, has been pretty good. So uh, I think at the moment, um, about 15 of the employees at CCL North in particular um so 15 out of 50 have came through the apprentice training program and they're, they're still with us. You know, we'd, we're never going to find people with the experience that, you know, that we need to be able to dismantle things and know what different items are. So, um, yeah, that, that's worked well for us. So, yeah, if we can um, get the top end of the business um, uh, finally fixed as well, um, we're we are looking for more people to to, to bring in um, at quite a senior level in the business and and other kind of mid management roles as well. You you maybe see some adverts uh, out and about uh, looking for 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 good people to come and join us. So if anybody's looking for a career change, <laughs> anybody yeah. looking for a job, that's it. This that, is your uh, man. Yeah, <laughs> give me a shout. So in terms of the 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 role that you've got and what you've been doing over you know over your career, 
has that changed your sort of opinions and habits outside the workplace? I've I've just got this image of you going around like curries and and all these places going no 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 that's got pops that's got pops can't recycle that one can't recycle that one and going into people's houses and looking at their tellies going no I think you need to change your telly <laughs> or whether it's like no I haven't got any um we little electronic items stored underneath in a cupboard somewhere that I don't want to I don't know what to do with them Aye. like mine <laughs> um it's my, my answer is no um, I don't hasn't know if changed it at all. No, um, I'm I'm super impressed with the with my wife Christine. She she's a champion at, at recycling. She uh-huh. knows much much more about it than than I do. Um, I, I I live in South Ayrshire, so is it five wheelie bins? I've got five five bins, five, four, five four wheelies, and a, and a five in a in a. And a food, bin. food waste, and I hope you've got our bin app downloaded in your phone. It's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely, absolutely. brilliant. I <laughs> use it. I use it every Sunday night um, before I can put put the bins out. I always check. Christine just looks at what what the neighbours have put out, and she'll put that out. But I always like to to check it. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed with your with your bin app. But no, um, she's definitely a. a better at recycling than, than I am at home and um, you know it's I actually try and keep it quiet what I do at work because <laughs> when the neighbours find it you know you get a wee champ at your door saying I've got a fridge you know. <laughs> yeah can you have a look at me telly <laughs> you know could, could, could you put this fridge in the back of your car and take it to your work and stuff and going no Oh, I mean, that's no. You need to take it to the tip, and uh, that way it gets counted along with everything else. And the household waste recycling centre, Bruce. All right, well, that's the tip. Not the tip. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, sorry, I'm a bit old fashioned. Right. Right. <laughs> there we go. And you, you need to make an appointment now before you can go. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the interest now, just talking about that point. So, South Ayrshire Council's putting appointments for the household waste recycling centre site, and they have had a huge drop in waste going into the site, and a huge amount is 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 from traders that were using the site. Uh, and not not paying for the waste, uh, and the other one they've had, and, and they're looking at doing something about this. Is 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 quite a lot of the waste was coming from East Ayrshire, so it was East Ayrshire residents coming into work in air and just using the site. Right. But they are actually thinking with the booking system, they could probably get someone working between them because East Ayrshire's got a booking system as well, so we could they could cross you know allow residents in. So it's quite interesting what the opportunities the booking system is opening up for councils. So. Yeah, that, that, that would be good because I think um, there, there are some materials that are difficult to, to dispose of yeah. in South Ayrshire, yeah. but, I, but I know a site in East Ayrshire that will take them. But when I spoke nicely to the to the gentleman there, he says, "Not, yeah, you don't okay. live here. You're not going to do it." <laughs> anyway, so next question: busy, busy life, Bruce. How do you mm-hmm. how do you get away from all the the work? And the, you, you mentioned whiskey earlier on. I think that might be a, is that a wee passion, no? Whiskey, ah, I, I happen to love whiskey. There's uh, no no secret in it. Um, I'm I'm now investing in whiskey uh, and buying casks and stuff like that. But uh, yes, um, I absolutely adore whiskey. It's really really 
uh, excellent stuff and needs to be encouraged for people to, to have your national drink. But I have other pastimes as well. I, I do love um, I love Scotland for a start. It's just, you know, how, how lucky are we to to live in a country that, that like like this? It's fantastic. So I love Scotland. I love fly fishing for wild trout and I've got a camper van so that, you know, you add those three together and, you know, that would be my favourite pastime when I can manage to escape, get away up the north of Scotland and, and fish some uh, some lochs up there uh, when I can. But uh, I've also got a wee bit of a car collection there as well and I quite like refurbishing, uh, rebuilding older older cars. So it's, uh, keep, keeps me occupied. Keeps you busy. Easy, easy. So you've you've alluded to this, I think. What's next for you in your career? Retirement. <laughs> retirement. Yeah, that's it in one word. I, need, I don't think need... you'll ever retire, Bruce. I don't. Oh, I don't have you down as a retiring person. No, and I, I need the people back at work, work to actually get get the message. You know. That's. <laughs> um, I mean, we're we're having really good fun at work and. Uh, it's good to, to see the interaction between the, the two companies happening now because you would think we'd be maybe in MD of both the companies that we would have cooperated better in the past, but in actual fact, quite a lot of time we're competing against one another, which wasn't really <laughs> what my intention was. So we're, we're bringing them all underneath the, the group. Uh, we've done a wee bit of a management buyout uh, last year, which has given um, the other four directors um, uh, quite a significant shareholding in, in the business as well uh, and you know hopefully I can get down to my three days at least um, that's a year I've been trying to do that mm-hmm. uh, but we, we are abnormally busy right at the moment um, as a result of what happened uh, up in Perth uh, back in February a very unfortunate incident um, so we're, we're trying to cope with as much of the, the overspill uh, from from that incident. But hopefully, you know, I think Enver have purchased the site. Oh, yes. One fact, that's me. One fact you want to share from your job, which you think people may not know. I think they've shared quite a lot, actually. I'm quite... I've, 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 I've been writing all these things down about CRTs and 27% TVs with pops. Yeah, organic. I've, I've, I've shared <laughs> I quite a lot. Uh, at, at, you know, already, and, and one thing that I had um, made a note of was actually um, going back to to liquid crystal displays and LCDs. Um, and I, I discovered more recently that you know, I, I mean, LCDs appear in everything now: mobile phones, wristwatches, um, all sorts of kids' games, tablets. You know, computers, just, just TVs, um, everything. And we've already discussed, you know, uh, they were invented by a guy, uh, George Gray, actually, was the, the person responsible for it. Um, but he was actually prompted by, uh, a, a, this sounds like a brilliant guy, a guy called John Stonehouse. John Stonehouse. Turns out he's a name. 
an MP, an ex-MP, or in the 60s he was anyway. He was um, Minister for Technology under Harold Wilson. And he discovered that the UK was spending far too much money on um, display technology, CRT, cathode ray tube, colour ones uh, from America. We were spending more money buying colour displays from America than we were spending on the whole of the, the research in Concord and developing Concord. And um, he approached um, industry to try and get somebody in the UK to to uh, develop it. And uh, George Grave happened to, to be that guy. So we've, we've got a lot to thank John Stonehouse for, although a wee bit later in his career in 1974, uh, he actually faked his own uh, death. He... Um, he was still an MP. We always get the stories in rubbish talk, don't we? <laughs> yeah. He went. He was in Miami, and he left a pile of clothes on the beach to make it look like he'd gone off swimming and either drowned or been eaten by a shark or something. But in actual fact, he was off with uh, his mistress, and he, he set up um, a, a new life in Australia. And he eventually got found out in Australia. He was opening loads of bank accounts under different names and, and somebody recognised him going, hang on a minute, you were in here the other day and stuff. And um, uh, he, he got caught, basically, and he got shipped back to the UK and he got to keep his job as an MP. How does that work? <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment, you know, that's getting into politics. So, <laughs> anyway. Try not to touch in politics here, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, moving on. Yeah, so so mo moving on, we've, we've talked lots of acronyms. What's your favourite or least favourite one? Oh, well, um, um, I've, I've got two, of course, and I know that you only want people to have one. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll let you give a first and second, just since it's yeah. you. Years ago, there was one called Battered, which was Battered. best, yeah, best available treatment, uh, recycling, recovery technology. Right? <laughs> you need to look it up. Yeah, I had to because I mean I, I actually couldn't find a reference to it anymore. Battered, and I would like very much for uh, my section of the industry to to go back to to Battered. Um, <laughs> Uh, as opposed to some companies who will remain nameless, who are more going down the catnap route, which of course is cheapest available treatment, narrowly avoiding prosecution. So <laughs> I am, I'm a big fan of doing things well and doing them to the best of our abilities. Uh, I don't think we should try and take shortcuts. We really should try and do, do the best possibly can within our industry. Um, I, think that, I think that's something we've discussed quite a bit, Bruce, in the podcast. That you know, quite often the waste sector gets pushed down the lowest price possible for things, rather than the cost that it takes to do things. And you know, that's one of our our negatives, really, into. Yeah, that is that is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're going to give you, this is probably quite dangerous, actually giving Bruce a magic wand to sort something out here. What's your magic wand going to sort out? And I think it's it should be quite easy, really. Just We should be looking for some better collaboration between government regulators, the waste industry and the manufacturers. There is very, very little um, involvement you know, of people outside their own industries. And I think if if the manufacturers of equipment or designers, developers, people with knowledge of actually what's inside something, um, worked closer with regulators to help them understand what was there. But even if the regulators themselves went and asked the question rather than waiting on the waste industry, because the responsibility always comes on the recycler. No, no, you, you need to prove that it doesn't have pops in this, for example, or whatever. I think um, the world would definitely be be a better place. You know, I, I I don't know what's happening in the Scottish government. We we don't appear to to want to take our own stance on uh, regulation uh, in of what we do here in Scotland. It seems that they're very happy to to just load on down the, the, the route in England. You know, but before the We Directive came in, I was involved in the Stakeholders Committee with the St- Scottish Government. And, you know, we, we had some really good ideas how, you know, we could introduce us. And we were concerned also about, you know, what would happen if we did introduce the We uh, Directive in the format it was in and we reckoned that you know it was going to put existing recycling companies out of business and it was going to encourage um, illegal exports and um, it was it turned out it was a complete waste of time of attending these meetings because the instruction had already been given that we're following what England do it doesn't matter what uh, and market forces shall prevail is the words that, that we were told um, and market forces have prevailed and companies have gone to the wall and illegal exports have increased. And it's just totally unfortunate. I think we could do a lot better. I know I know, I know. know from talking to you previously, Bruce, the whole subject of illegal exports and stuff is probably a whole other podcast because there's some great interesting stuff there in, in, in terms of what, what you know. I totally agree with you about the you know, manufacturers tying up, but it, you know, it always does seem as if it's the waste management industry's problem. And it, it, you only need to look at what's happening with vapes at the moment, with you know, millions and millions of these things being put onto the market, and it's now the waste management industry's problem. Mm-hmm. You know, rather mm-hmm. than this should be the manufacturers and the producers' problem, uh, and they should be stepping up to the plate to 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 do so, something about it. Yeah, the, I mean the. Somebody has to pay for it at the end of the day. And yep. although, you know, if you're dealing with one vape at a time and dismantling them one at a time, it's it's relatively easy uh, to do. It's not um, a difficult job to, to recycle it. But, you know, if you've got a ton of vapes to process, it takes a long time. Um, so the current sort of prices for that is around about £15,000 a tonne is the costs in uh, recycling vapes, whereas 
other types of electronics are, you know, sort of 70, 75 pounds for uh, just electrical appliances, maybe about 150 pounds uh, per ton for for TVs. Wow, that's the difference, isn't it? Well, it's a big difference when you get yeah, a ton of absolutely. Cake, you get a ton of apes in your waist. You know, you're you're 15 grand out. Mm, so, yeah. Um, I think I, I'm sure the compliance schemes can can do a bit more to, to try and sort it. They just need to, to have a will to, to get on with it. I think there's a lot of people trying to sort it. There's a lot of discussions about it anyway. I think it's everybody likes to discuss and research, don't they, when it actually comes to doing something. It's a totally different matter. But moving on, do you have any advice for anybody wanting to follow a similar career path to yourselves? Where How would they get started? And, you know, apart from obviously joining your um, apprentice scheme... <laughs> Yeah, I would encourage them to do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a great industry. It's kept my interest for you know the last twenty five years probably. Um, every day is different. Um, you never know what somebody's going to bring you and say. Any idea what this is? You're going no. Um, so it, it it's uh, it is a very interesting um, industry. And, you know, I'm not even sure we're a real part of the industry. I feel we're a, wee, we're a tiny wee organisation away out in the periphery. Um, it's of, a really important sector, Bruce. It's well, a significant sector. It's, uh, it's important to us, definitely. Uh, and, you know, but we, we enjoy what we do. Um, and, yeah, I would encourage anybody to, to get into any any way they can, whether it's just getting a job somewhere or going through university, um, taking an apprenticeship, um, it's you know probably you're going to be safe enough for the next twenty or fifty years, you know, in employment, and and there's not many industries can can offer you that, I don't think. It's always going to be waste, isn't there? <laughs> no matter what you do, there's always going to be Unfortunately, waste or yes. recycling or reuse or remanufacture or whatever you want to call it nowadays. <laughs> well, I've heard so many new names for it over the years. Um, I, I still call it recycling, but a lot of people were telling me now that's that's a dirty word and you shouldn't be using the, the, mm. the terminology recycling, but well... I think you're probably doing, I suppose to an extent, you're doing more than recycling, aren't you? You're getting the, you're doing the reuse, you're doing the, you know, the removing the products and getting them reused, you know, so you're probably a level up from recycling, if we're honest, but I don't really know there's a, a word to describe that. <laughs> so recycling's probably good. Anyway, just to finish off, we are, we as an Albion are working with yourselves for, I believe, I never knew this until you or Alison told me there's an international e-waste day on the 14th of October. So yeah. we are planning on letting all the staff use our office as a drop-off location for all their waste electrical stuff they've got lurking in their cupboards that they no longer require. And Good. you, hopefully, maybe not you personally, are going to send somebody around to pick it all up for us. So, yeah. Um, looking forward to that. Um, someday I'll come down and, and visit you prior to that and probably put in some containers 
you know, depending on what you think you might get, you might be surprised if, if Jane gets all these CRTs. <laughs> She's and, not bringing that CRT. You haven't seen my Brinkin attic. Oh, my goodness. I did actually find the other day, I was looking, and I thought, I don't know what's in that box. Took out the box, and there it was full of, like, cables. It was full of, you know, chargers and things. I'm thinking... I don't know how long that box has been there. I really don't need them. Yeah. <laughs> but but you never know. You never know when you might need that cable that you haven't had the equipment to to charge it for for the last 20 years. But you never know. You never know. <laughs> that's correct. And, and that's the sort of service you offer, CCL offers for companies. Uh, of course. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we deal with companies up and down the whole of the UK. And uh, you know we'll we'll come and have a chat about what your requirements are specifically, and you know we'll provide a service that that suits you. Perfect. We we'll look forward to. It. I look forward to seeing. Well, I know I've got stuff in the house that I've already allocated for getting shipped to the office. So we we'll look forward to having a big pile for you. So good. I think... might need to get the Albion van. Yeah, <laughs> to bring it down. I'm not going to get that much. Not going to get that much. I think that's us exhausted all our questions. All I would say is thank you very much for your time. I think there's probably listeners we've got that'll have a wee nostalgia trip about the the, the various technologies you've you've mm-hmm. you've mentioned. If there's younger listeners that have no clue what they are, they need to Google some of these things we've, we've discussed and, and 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 find out about them. So, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. That was really interesting. Thank you, guys.